Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Lattermilk, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And this is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. And you know, um, it's really hard not to love Stephen Hawking. Indeed, he's very lovable. Yeah. And intelligent. Yeah, especially when you, you know, you write, podcast, edit, live and breathe science, uh, you know, at least from nine to six from, uh, you know, for a living, then, uh, then, you know, he's a pretty big deal. Yeah, he starts to approach idle status. But like we were discussing earlier, it's often easy to, like, fall into the trap of just thinking, all right, this is a brilliant, brilliant brain in, um, you know, a, um, a disabled body. And, uh, and then sort of like dismiss a lot of like whatever he's talking about. What are you talking about dismiss? Who's dismissing Hawking? Who has the audacity to I'm not dismiss? Saying, not like logically saying like Hawking, but more like people are just kind of like, oh, yeah, Stephen Hawking, he's brilliant. But without really giving a lot of thought to like what he's, you know, actually why he's brilliant or, or much less thinking about the man, the man that this is this is a real dude. And, he's more than a theoretical physicist. Yeah, and he's a he pretty not? interesting guy. Yeah, so today we thought we'd walk you uh, through a couple of things that you might not know about Stephen Hawking. Despite the title, Hanging with Stephen Hawking, he's not actually here in the studio. He didn't respond to our interview requests. Imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is based on an article that Jane McGrath, former co-host of Stuff You Missed in History Class back in the day, and she wrote an article for House of Works called 10 Cool Things You Didn't Know About Stephen Hawking. So if you are really into Hawking and you want to go check it out after you listen to our podcast... Do it. Yeah. We also have a quiz about Stephen Hawking. We have two quizzes about Stephen Hawking, I think. So if you feel like, ah, Stephen Hawking, I already know that stuff. Well, bring it. You know, come to the website and test that knowledge out. Okay. So what is this theoretical physicist known for? What do you know him for? Black holes, right? Yeah. Black hole research and also the whole limitless universe thing where the... The boundless universe. Yeah. Boundless universe. We'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. We don't don't turn off the podcast. We're not going to get heavy into that, but but we'll, we'll discuss it. So... Let's let's start out with the uh, the day of his birth. It's kind of handy because this guy was born 300 years to the day after Galileo died on January 8th, 1942. So that's kind of handy. I did think about looking up to see who died on um, on my birthday to see if I could somehow link myself to yeah. a, a big figure in the past, but um, I, I didn't have time before the podcast. Oh, that was, that's a bit of a letdown. I was really getting excited. <laughs> well, save yeah. that for another podcast. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty big. You know, it kind of implies that he had some big uh, shoes to fill. And, uh, you know, some people would say he, he kind of did. But interestingly enough, this guy's never received a Nobel. It is interesting. Yeah. I mean, so he's one of the most famous physicists out there, one of the most famous scientists out there, but. Mm-hmm. And he's, he has, he's gotten lots of other, um, you know, awards and prizes and recognitions, but, uh, but not the Nobel. Yeah. So, inducted into the Royal Society at the wee age of, um, in his 30s, I think he was 32. He was, he was a relative young feller. Although a lot of people who are making their names in math and science, they say, um, have already done, like, their critical work when they're pretty young. Which I always find distressing because, you know, what if my best years are, are gone? Your best years of scientific research. What if my brilliance has, is gone? Um, so another interesting thing is he's held the Cambridge University's uh, Lucasian Professor of Mathematics position. And this is pretty darn prestigious, um, especially when you consider that Sir Isaac Newton was one of the guys who has held it, and Charles Babbage. And do you know who Babbage is? I needed a little refresher on Babbage. 
It sounds familiar. I was just talking about him with uh, Jonathan Strickland of Tech mm-hmm. Stuff this morning. Oh, then he has something to do with computers. He does. Oh. He does. He was essentially the guy who led to the, the modern computer. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, computers are great, but has he received an award from the Pope? <sighs> Indeed. I'm not sure Babbage has, but uh, Hawking has. He and uh, Roger Penrose did. Uh, the Pius Eleven Gold Medal for uh, for Science. I, I, you know, we have to do some some sort of something about the Pope giving out medals to science because this was curious. I'd not heard of this. Had you? Uh, um, yeah, I was familiar a little bit with it. I know for one thing we were talking about Galileo. Galileo did not get an award from the Pope, at least not <laughs> uh, in his day and time. Yeah, and Galileo certainly did not get the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom from U.S. President Barack Obama in two thousand nine. Yeah, what's up, Obama? Why are you not giving Galileo's dues? I yeah. don't know. I think he'd take him even after his death. Of course, Hawking is no stranger to the media. Have you guys seen him? Have you have you checked him out in any of his many appearances on TV or in film? Yeah, I've seen the Futurama episode that he's in where um, he like teams up with Al Gore and a few other notable celebrities uh, to like go back in time and uh, or go into the future to like save the world. And so it's pretty funny. Um, so this episode really made an impression on you. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I do remember specifically that. Um, uh, Philip Fry, the kind of idiot main character in Futurama, he uh, he discovers like a cosmic analogy and calls it a fry hole, and um, <laughs> and then Hawking like steals it from him and calls it a Hawking hole. That's good stuff. Yeah. He's been on The Simpsons four separate times. Oh, I, wow. I heard the connection there was that his daughter Lucy knew one of the scriptwriters from The Simpsons. Um, and he, uh, Hawking had a funny quote, and he said, uh, "As many people know me through The Simpsons as through science." Which is kind of hilarious. And he also said Simpsons is the best thing on American TV. Yeah, yeah, he's a big fan. You can, you can kind of tell a lot about somebody if they have at least dug The Simpsons at one point or another. I have a friend who swears that she's never seen The Simpsons, which I find to be a lie. How can that be? Does she? She has, she has a TV. She had, well then she has. She has seen TV. She has seen The Simpsons. How could you not have seen The Simpsons? Yeah. And then of course, um, you wrote a recent article that was based around his uh, discovery series, Into the Universe with Stephen Hawking. And this got a lot of press because uh, he was talking about some things that people didn't want to necessarily hear about aliens. Yeah, and we, we did a podcast yeah, talking about this a little bit, but it right. basically boiled down to it was a slow news week. Um, oil hadn't like leaked up and <laughs> polluted the Gulf yet, so everyone was like, what are we going to talk about th- today? Uh, Hawking, Hawking said something and about aliens. about aliens, right. Yeah. Um, Here's something you might not have known about Hawking, along with his whole mm-hmm. uh, appearances on TV and in film. He's a children's author. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of excited about the books. So he's written two with his daughter, Lucy Hawking. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one is George's Secret Key to the Universe. And it's supposed to be part of a trilogy built around this little boy, George. And the second one is out, too. It's called George's Cosmic Treasure Hunt. So I was curious because I was, uh, you know, I have some kids, know some kids. Got to get them presents sometimes, you know, and things roll around, birthdays and such. And these sounded like good books to get kids. Yeah, I mean, it's it, supposedly like, and I haven't read them, but supposedly each one like deals with like real cosmological, you know, issues. Like they explain kind of how the universe works in, you know, far simpler terms. Yeah, they did an interview with uh, ABC, Lucy and her, I think Lucy and her dad did. And Lucy says, it was clear to me that there was a wealth of science fiction available for children, but not very much, quote unquote, science fact. Science fiction can be exciting and very gripping, but it doesn't tell us anything about the universe in which we live. We wrote an adventure that is based on real science rather than on fantasy. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, do you think that I, I kind of disagree with her on the whole science fiction thing, not being able to tell us about well, the universe? 
It no, it can, but I just don't know how much. I think maybe her point is more when it comes to children's science fiction. You know, I suppose. You know, like, uh, and I can't think of any like young adult sci-fi titles. Well, I don't know. I guess for me, when I was a young adult, like my, the sci-fi titles that I was into were things like Asimov. So, uh, so yeah, if you look at it that way, it's like you know, Asimov is perfectly fine for many young people to read, and you know, and I think reading. Asimov has inspired, you know, many scientists and uh, and children who just, you know, went on to other things but remained interested in it. But the book that Hawking is really well known for is, of course, Brief History of Time. Right. They Did even, you ever read it? Um, I, I don't know if I've sat down and read it cover to cover, but uh, I've definitely hit it up here and there for, uh, you know, articles or, you know, to answer little questions in my head. Um, they made a movie out of it as well, which I have not seen. But yeah, uh, and there's a uh, Hawking's in tons of documentaries. He's written all sorts of stuff. But here's something: this guy, this vaunted science celebrity, maybe not always the best student. Yeah, this is uh, everybody loves these stories. Everybody you know? does love these stories because whether you're a you know a kid who just uh, got a C you know in uh, in social studies, or you're a, a mom or a dad, yeah, you who brandish just read, this yeah. uh, argument when you present your bad report card yeah. to your parents. Hey, you know Steve Jobs never finished high school. Yeah, or like when Einstein was a kid, he robbed a convenience store, and Hawking you know? wasn't even really that smart. Yeah, <laughs> Bill Gates stole the painting. You know. <laughs> He turned out great. But as it turns out, Hawking could actually get it done in the grades department. When he took his scholarship exams, he aced them, and he uh, had a near-perfect score on the physics portion. Yeah, when it came down to, uh, you know, basically being a situation where, oh, you're not going to get to go to the the college you need to go to unless you uh, ace this uh, test, then he ponied up and uh, did it. So that's interesting because... um, he didn't really want to study physics. Physics represented a compromise between he and his dad, good old Frank. Yeah, his dad wanted him to be a doctor. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's yeah. a lot of parents want their kids to go into medicine. Yeah, make the make the big money, right? But uh but then the um yeah, the, 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 he was more interested in mathematics, like this, the, whole, the hard, cold, you know, well, maybe not cold. You know, if you're in love with mathematics, it's not really a cold thing. But, but numbers can be warm and fuzzy yeah, yeah, if you they, understand yeah. them. Yeah, they can be your, yeah, your best friends if you're a mathematician. But he was very, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential in mathematics. There's, uh, and then there's a lot of, uh, you know, exact, uh, you know, calculation. And I think he was really into that. He wasn't so psyched on biology. He found it rather imprecise. Yeah. That's what Jane was, uh, Jane was writing. So he ultimately wound up attending Oxford and majoring in physics. And when it came to figure out what physics path he wanted to go down, he chose cosmology. Yeah, the big questions, uh, you know, the big overall. What is the universe? Yeah, he's a big picture guy yeah. instead of particle physics. So why? Um, there's a pretty interesting quote. He gave a 2002 lecture to Cambridge's Center for Mathematical Sciences. And he said, uh, talking about particle physics, but I felt that elementary particles at that time was too like botany. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of rough. Kind of a rough time. No, not very fair to the botanist either, but. Yeah, know. definitely. Even more interesting is this man who we've come to know, um, in a wheelchair, uh, albeit a crazy advanced wheelchair. Uh, he was a rower. Yeah. First year at Oxford. He yeah. went out for the crew team. Yeah, he was, um, yeah, he was kind of like, uh, he wasn't like one of the, like the muscle rowers, but no, he was a coxswain. He's, yeah, he's, he's the one who sat him. in the front because he was kind of a small guy even then. And uh, so his petite build was good for sitting in the front of the boat when you shout directions, row, row, yeah, give me lunch or whatever you yell at your rowers. So yeah, it's 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 important I think to to realize that this you know this guy was once a you know virile young young dude out there. 
steering, if not rowing, a, a boat. Well, do they row? I mean, they they kind of direct. Do they? Well, right. I mean, he's like, not steering. He's not like you know wiggling yeah, his plum yeah. from side to side to steer the boat. In but the still, direction. he's out there. You know, it's physical exertion. It's probably cold, and you know. Well, so he had to drop it because rowing, as some of you guys probably know, it cuts into your schoolwork. All that practice, it's fairly intense sport. So he had to drop it. Yeah. yeah. But once upon a time, Stephen Hawking was a rower. Let's get to the family life. There's some pretty good stuff there. Yeah, like the uh, the author of our uh, our article about uh, about Hawking. His wife's name was Jane. Yeah. First wife. Met he met his wife Jane at a New Year's party. Wife Jane, according to Jane. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Uh, his wife Jane thought that uh, Hawking was a funny guy, and he and she admired his independence. And the the sense of humor is something that remains with him. I mean, obviously he's cool with showing up on The Simpsons and Futurama, but but you see other things he's written, and and even the uh, you know the, the the TV show on Discovery, uh, Hawking's Universe. Uh, there's a certain sense of humor to that as well. Yeah, he has a pretty so, sharp wit. Yeah, he's he's good with comebacks. And it wasn't long after he met Jane, though, that um, he ended up going to the the doctor. He was he was like tripping he, a lot. He was feeling kind of clumsy, you know, like there was something wrong with his like motor skills. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was diagnosed with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, all, you know, also known as ALS. Yeah, here I'll just attempt it: amyotrophic lateral scler- sclerosis, and yeah. that was at the wee age of twenty-two. Yeah, and they uh, were not uh, giving a, that good of a forecast either. They th- thought he maybe lived to like 24 or something, right? Yeah, not necessarily long to even finish his PhD. Yeah. Uh, he was then at Cambridge. So according to Mayo Clinic, in case you guys want to know the deal on ALS, if you don't remember, uh, signs of ALS start to begin with your muscle twitching. Maybe you have weakness in an arm or even slurring of speech. So that would kind of explain the clumsiness. Mm-hmm. And then eventually uh, the cells that control muscle activity – you know, good stuff like eating, swallowing, breathing, all that stuff are affected, and you essentially become paralyzed. It's degenerative. Yeah, it occurs in uh, one to three people for, per 100,000, and the most common cause of death, um, if you have ALS, is a respiratory failure. So you guys might remember back in 2009, uh, there were a lot of news stories when Hawking went to the hospital and he had, he had a fairly serious respiratory infection, uh, but he obviously survived it. And Interestingly enough, he's now he's Britain's oldest survivor of ALS. Yeah, which is no small feat. Because the life expectancy after you're diagnosed is a few years, not decades. Yeah, like I think like three to five tops, and he's been just defying the odds like for decades. Um, so despite the diagnosis, he was like, whatever, I'm getting engaged to my lady Jane, and he did. Yeah, and she pointed out uh, in an interview, I think, or maybe it was in her book, that uh, that also there was like this atmosphere of, you know, that we could have uh, a nuclear war at any we moment. We could die tomorrow. You know, it, could, it could all be over. So all the more reason. It's like, you know, the person I love, you know, has this condition, but, you know, and then, then everything might, you know, go up in flames tomorrow. But, you know, right now we've got this moment. Let's make the best of it. It's romantic. And, yeah, it is. They lasted for a long time, but they two wound up splitting in 1990. And then, of course, Hawking married his nurse, Elaine Mason, five years later. So this caused some chattering yeah. among the folks that like to talk about this stuff. And Hawking has since split from Mason as well. And he has a couple kids, a couple grandkids now, too. Yeah, um, this is actually really interesting. I ran across another tidbit about uh, Hawking's uh, musical taste. Uh, given his, uh, you know, his own, uh, uh, you know, musical explorations he's really big into like wagner and some classical stuff right but um he was hanging out with his um, his son tim and his tim was listening to a lot of depeche mode and oh, right uh, he wound up going to the depeche mode concert yeah, yeah? and uh, and hawking says that he, he like actually really digs uh, depeche mode now so that's that's pretty cool <laughs> 
I like the idea of like here, you know, him sitting, uh, sitting around, kind of jamming out. Yeah, but he also said his ears were ringing for maybe twenty four hours after. So that's, <laughs> you know, but if you gotta, if you're gonna rock hard, sometimes you gotta take roll with the punches. Yeah, right, well, Hawking. Yeah, and 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 come on, like some of those Depeche Mode songs are pretty somber, you know, so you should be able to roll with that. Indeed. So wife Jane eventually wrote this tell-all about what it was like to be married to the brilliant scientist, and it was called Music to Move the Stars, 610 pages of detail on what it was like to be married to Stephen Hawking. And from what I gather from reading some of the reviews, it wasn't all positive. I can't imagine what it would be like to live with such a ridiculously smart mind. I mean, does it cause you to, you know, lack faith in your own judgment? Do you question yourself? I mean, there have to be all sorts of issues that come up with a relationship like that. Or maybe it's just two people. Yeah. I guess I would tend to, you know, it's it's always been my experience that if somebody's really smart about some things, they're probably pretty dumb about, pretty others. Dumb about others, you know, so... It all evens out. Um, yeah. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Anyway, he's since reconciled with wife Jane, and she was at his bedside when uh, he had that respiratory infection back in 2009. But let's uh, depart from his uh, personal life before we get uh, too many angry <laughs> emails. Um, let's get back to the physics. Yeah, in in a nutshell, the boundless universe uh, theory that he's uh, you know, you know, attributed with, it, it boils down to, like, think of the think of the globe, right? Yes. All right. Now, if you start running around in a circle, you know, on the globe, or not in a circle, but like you, you start just running, then you would eventually loop around to where you were before. And then you'd loop around to where you were before, and you just go on forever, you know? You're never going to run off. Right. It's limitless, at least in a 2D, uh, two-dimensional uh, framework. Oh, man, we should have called in Flat Stanley for this. <laughs> we should have called we him Flat Stanley. He was busy. Yeah. I think he was going to Josh and Chuck's uh, trivia night today. Yeah, his agent wouldn't return my call, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, so in a, in a very two-dimensional sense, a globe is limitless. So, uh, the, the boundless universe deal is taking that idea and expanding it to a 4D universe. And the universe, yeah, right. Yeah, where you have, you know, three spatial dimensions and one of time. Right. So, universe as a contained entity, but having no boundaries. So I, I think that your analogy really helps to kind of frame that in my mind and hopefully in listeners' minds too. It's, I mean, it's contained, yet it has no boundaries, so that's tricky. Yeah, it's it's a pretty big topic. We may have to cover that one on its own uh, in a future podcast. So, what about the black hole business? What about the black hole bet? Oh yeah, so this is uh, this is interesting. It had to do with um, whether information is lost in a black hole. Right. So that's what Hawking said back in 1975. He essentially said that well, black holes are not exactly black. I mean, they're radiating energy. I mean, because we tend to think of them as these yawning maws of blackness sucking everything within, you know, remotely close into it, right? Yeah, these yeah, passive and horizon. Tremendous yeah. cosmological forces. Right. So Hawking thought black holes radiated energy. But here's the tricky thing. At the same time, he said that information was lost in a black hole. So it's creating this nice little paradox. Yeah, and uh, U.S. The- theoretical physicist John Preskill did not agree. He even made a bet with Hawking, uh, as well as with uh, Caltech uh, theorist uh, Kit Thorne in uh, 97, that uh, information can, in fact, escape from black holes. And this was nice because Preskill's idea didn't break the laws of quantum mechanics as um, as Hawking and, and, and Thorne were doing. And so eventually, 2004 rolls around, Hawking said, yeah, Preskill was right. 
Yeah, and he gave I'm not it. sure that Thorne has conceded, actually. Yeah, I also couldn't find uh, like what kind of money was at stake here. I did. Yeah. I there was a encyclopedia, and uh, the encyclopedia was um, to be given to the loser, so the loser could look up information that he wasn't so sure about. Oh, so it was just kind of like a uh, yeah, kind of a petty, not a petty, but it's just it's kind of pride. like a, a joke yeah. insult kind of gag. Yeah, these are the kind of bets that scientists have. <laughs> They weren't like, it wasn't like a finger or anything. Okay, that's good. So as we mentioned earlier, uh, Hawking uh, also have, has uh, talked a good deal about the possibility of extraterrestrial life in our universe. And uh, and that always gets some, you know, when you have a, a dude that's considered by many to be one of, you know, one of the, if not the most brilliant mind out there, scientific mind, and he starts talking about uh, aliens. aliens actually existing, you know, people take notice and they run with it on slow news weeks. And uh, yeah, he said some re- has said some really cool stuff. He he thinks that uh, sure, it's a big universe out yeah. there. We might not be alone. But his big point has been that it might be primitive life, not necessarily intelligent life. In fact, he famously quipped that sense of humor again that intelligent life has yet to occur on Earth at uh, NASA's <laughs> 50th anniversary lecture series. So yes, life might be out there, but it might be primitive. And his uh, another point of of his, which is well received, was that. Those aliens, we, they might not be DNA based. We like we've talked about before in the podcast. We tend to think of aliens being somewhat similar to humans. Who who's to say? Yeah, could, you know, pure energy beings. Who, you know, the sky is kind of the limit. You know, ultimately. Right. So if these aliens aren't DNA based, then they could bring a whole host of new diseases that could just lay waste to the human population right. and life on Earth. And uh, and as we mentioned in the uh, Into the Universe with Stephen Hawking show on Discovery, he. Uh, he discussed at length how if intelligent life on another planet followed the same evolutionary scent as as human life, sure, and it and if it and if it even resembled our cultural advances, then uh, we would be looking at some pretty scary aliens who would probably not be pleasant to meet. Right, they might not be looking to make friends, but rather mine the Earth of its available resources. Right, and move on in their giant spaceships to mine other planets. It was kind of a Kind of a, you know, it wasn't, everybody focused on that aspect of it. And, but that, that aspect of, uh, of the talk was very nightmaric. You know, I mean, the idea of any foreign force coming and harvesting your planet, that's, that's spooky. Indeed. So if you want to send us an email about Stephen Hawking or your favorite scientists out there, do. We're at ScienceStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. We love hearing from you guys. Or hit us up on Twitter where we're Lab Stuff and Facebook where we're Stuff in the Science Lab. That's all we got. Thanks for listening, guys. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage.